Welcome to the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Kareem Jabbar, the CEO and co-founder of SolStream. Welcome, Kareem. Thank you, Sanjoy. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. You know, you enable the generation of carbon credits from decentralized renewable energy systems. Let's start by talking about how critically important this is for both the climate and the development standpoint. Yes, very good start, Sanjoy. So a little bit about the big problem. Solar or energy access as such is a big problem. You have over 700 million people in the world today who don't have any kind of electricity access, and also around 1 billion people who have very poor energy access. So currently, this means that those people will have to uh, rely on very dirty fuel sources in order to meet their needs. Here we're talking about using firewood, so deforestation, using kerosene lamps, using uh, diesel generators. Just to give you an example, if you aggregate the CO2 emissions caused by just kerosene lamps, it actually accumulates to more than seven times the CO2 emissions of the country of Denmark that I live in. So it seems like a no-brainer to try to solve this issue and replace these dirty sources of fuel with a simple solution, so solar home systems, which is something that uh, essentially our company tries to address by contributing to that acceleration of deployment of solar home systems across the developing world. And when you say developing world, this problem is really an African problem, right? I mean, though it's there in other parts, and I know you've done work in Southern America as well, but very seriously, an issue in Africa. Absolutely correct. The center of gravity of, the, of this problem is primarily sub-Saharan Africa. And you mentioned we do work in uh, countries such as uh, Colombia and uh, Mexico, that uh, although you could say, generally speaking, they would have grids that are somehow functioning and operational pretty well, you still have pockets of completely isolated populations who don't have access to electricity at all. So, so here also, uh, it's high on the radar of you know, the, the governments of those countries to actually enable operators that deploy off-grid uh, systems. Uh, this could be microgrids, mini-grids, solar home systems into those, uh, those areas. And generally speaking, whether we're talking Latin America or Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, the biggest issue is uh, the cost of extending the grid. Uh, it would simply cost way too much to, first of all, make the grid reliable where it actually is and well-functioning for the increasing populations of uh, the big cities in, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, for example, and at the same time, extending that grid to reach the remote rural areas. So it's a, it's a much more cost-effective solution to go straight uh, off-grid on a new technology, so essentially using renewable energy from the outset in small mini-grid, micro-grid type of installations or standalone systems such as uh, solar home systems. Great. I think one of the things you have already done, which is to define what the word decentralized renewable energy systems mean. I mean, uh, you've already talked about solar home systems, microgrids. In the big picture problem, one of the things that you talked about was carbon emissions, but obviously the use of firewood, for example, which you alluded to, leads to deforestation. Now that itself leads to carbon emissions. It you know, reduces uh, carbon sequestration possibilities and potential, but it also is a huge challenge on the adaptation side. So the, you know, that's an important issue as well. Absolutely. And this is why addressing the problem is vital because you could say avoidance of these practices 
is essentially a big contributor to trying to save the carbon sinks that we have remaining rather than continuing to cut down forest in order to use it to, for firewood. A simple replacement not only replaces the kerosene, but also protects the forest. And added to this, you'd have a whole range of co-benefits that are uh, healthcare related, for example. As an example, every year, one and a half million people die in accidents related to kerosene lamps. So the numbers are huge and not just black carbon related diseases based on poor breathing conditions inside households. The ability to, to study at night, to have productive lives is greatly diminished if you don't have this uh, immediate and direct access to, to energy. So what makes these types of actions or activities extra beneficial is that we're not just talking about typical carbon avoidance, but it's also a carbon avoidance with a lot of very positive social co-benefits. And that is worth taking into consideration. And you're correct. It's all part of an ecosystem where one action essentially affects another. And at the end of the day, the scale of this is much larger than just a, a simple kerosene lamp that can easily be replaced. So having established now the problem and the, and the big impact, uh, you also mentioned, of course, that you worked in Mexico and Colombia, but you know, you've worked with some of the largest companies in off-grid solar in Africa, such as NG and Greenlight Africa. So what is the benefit these companies get from selling carbon credits through your platform? So uh, just to set the stage a little bit, you could say the carbon market that we currently have obviously relies on this mechanism where you have projects that either avoid or remove emissions on the one hand, uh, and then on the other hand, you would have due to emitting companies in other parts of the world uh, that would essentially compensate for that uh, emission by purchasing these carbon credits that are created somewhere else. And the mechanism itself is sound on a scientific basis. It doesn't make any difference whether you know a ton emitted in one country or another country doesn't matter. It's one global atmosphere, so to speak. So the mechanism itself is sound, but it has also been prone to a lot of issues and problems in the past related to fraud and so on. We can we can talk about that if necessary and why how we actually address that by trying to make the system more more trusted. But generally speaking, you could say the the existing system is based on a centralized approach, meaning that the types of projects that were typically allowed to be, to be included in this, in this sort of compensation mechanism would be larger centralized types of systems, large hydroelectric plants for avoidances, similarly to large uh, wind farms and solar as well, uh, utility scale type of stuff. And of course, the, the credit sold would help in turn bring down the cost of the technology so it actually becomes uh, affordable and more deployable where it's actually needed. And the similar thing with, with forestry projects, usually large projects, it takes a lot of capital and time in order to get the credits ready for purchase. So a typical cycle with a verification body would take you know, three years or so. And a lot of uh, upfront fees that I need, you need to pay to, in order to get a project put on rails, so to speak, so it can ultimately lead to issuance of carbon credits which will be uh, registered or listed on one of the uh, registries of the voluntary market. It could be uh, the gold standard registry, the CDM registry, Vera registry, which is the one that holds the verified carbon standard projects. So all this essentially means that whoever wants to get into this space needs to have the liquidity upfront to invest in this in order to reap the benefits at a later stage. Sometimes three, four, five years later, uh, once the credits are issued, then you actually start selling the credits with all the uncertainty of what the market would look like in the future, making it very difficult for you to actually account for, is the investment actually uh, wor well worth it? So there's a scale issue, there's a time issue. And the scale issue is that as soon as you go down to a certain size of projects, 
this becomes very you know, difficult to address. So you would typically have setups such as program of activities that essentially makes it easier for smaller projects to join in. But still, the business model is, is the same. It's a business model where you need to pay money up front and you have to wait a certain amount of time. A lot of diligence done in order to do field-based type of verification before carbon credits can be issued. So uh, in our particular context, we realized that a lot of the operators in the off-grid solar space are dealing with very small units uh, deployed at a massive scale. So massively distributed small systems, which when you aggregate them, make up a considerable uh, volume, which should definitely be you know, monetizable in terms of issue, issuing and selling carbon credits. But the current methodologies do not really allow for it. So having talked to a lot of these uh, players, we realized that we can try to help the volume uh, issue by aggregating. So aggregation by having one company that essentially deals with all of them at once should bring the numbers aligned so it actually can become a good business case. And also we're going to need to be creative when it comes to the business model itself uh, and the use of technology in order to bring down, say, the cost of verification so that a smaller project distributed setups, uh, such as the distributors of solar home systems, can actually participate in this carbon market. So this is what we've created with Solstrom. It's essentially a technology-driven you know, system, very much reliant on the data that these partners of ours uh, have. You mentioned the NG Energy Access. We just made an agreement with them for their, their systems in Kenya. Similarly, with the Greenlight Planet, so that uh, is well known for the Sun King product range, which is the most distributed solar home system and lanterns and so on, uh, solar lanterns uh, across Africa. They, run, they have over 3 million you know, PAYGO units deployed in, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. So for, uh, for us, it's essentially figuring out a way, how do we leverage all this? And this is done by working with software providers that are already used in the space. So here we're talking about Angaza, the last mile distribution uh, software, as well as Pagey, uh, which does more or less the same thing. Uh, and we're currently also looking at uh, Pagop Solaris to, to try to build an integration with them as, as well. So essentially, it's a, a simple solution where uh, operators or distributors who are running these types of products can connect via the data that they're doing, uh, that they're collecting from these solar home systems, payment data, for example. Usually these uh, systems will be sold on a payment plan. Uh, and as long as you know the payment plan keeps rolling in and people pay for, for the system, it either unlocks the system, you know, in case of the more advanced systems that can be turned off in case people default or not. But essentially, in order to keep it as correct as possible, we have found a way to connect payments to actual uh, energy consumption. So we would assume that, uh, let's say, uh, if you have paid X amount of uh, uh, Kenya shillings for a system uh, in month X, that means you will act essentially have X number of days of use of that particular solar system. Uh, that, that in turn means uh, a replacement of kerosene and diesel to a specific amount, essentially using the, the carbon methodology calculation in order to issue then a very small fraction of a carbon credit for each single payment. So what we do is scale-based. So uh, massively distributed systems and every single payment recorded get transformed into a carbon value, which is stored on this next generation carbon registry, you can call it, which is based on the distributed ledger system so that it becomes tamper proof. 
And from this registry, potential buyers, corporations, and so on, can essentially buy and retire the credits from the, from the system the same way as uh, you would do if you buy it from the Vera registry or uh, a gold standard uh, type of product. Uh, and to be aligned with these, you know, the way of doing things, we're also third-party verified, meaning that uh, the methodology that we use, which is a CDM methodology in order to uh, quantify the carbon avoidances, is essentially verified by DNV, the large Norwegian company that I'm sure you're familiar with if you work in the energy space, that is quite known for uh, ISO standard setting and, and these types of verification processes. They have a big carbon team that has been helping us in a nutshell, uh, verifying that the methodology is correct, that it's codified correct, and the, the, the use of the data is handled according to, to best practices. So, so this gives assurance from the buyers on the corporate side of things that when they buy a carbon avoidance credit from Solstrom, let's say from a green light planet system deployed in Kenya, that there is a 100% traceability and you can actually see very specifically on the system which at which specific times was the system in use essentially triggering the carbon avoidance. Also, where exactly the system located through a geohash. So all this transparency of information makes the data extremely granular, and it allows you to be to trust in the fact that what you have bought is actually something that is proven to have happened through third-party verified data, which is something, which is a new approach, you could say, to the more uh, generic estimation-based calculations that are usually used for uh, massively distributed projects such as cook stoves and so on. Usually you would deploy tens of thousands of those, but you wouldn't really know if they're in use or not in use and so on. But you would need to trust that the carbon avoidance has actually happened. Whereas here we can prove that it has happened. So we consider this a carbon credit that is you know, uh, premium in the sense that it adds this level of uh, transparency and trust, but also at the same time, it has all the co-benefits, the social benefits that I mentioned uh, earlier. So uh, I guess uh, because of, you know, the, we have the fact that we've managed to put ourselves at the intersection of the carbon market and the solar upgrade system, uh, and that we put carbon credits at the forefront of what we do as an enhancement to what everybody else does, we become kind of an ecosystem play or a solution that essentially enhances the works of the work of all the others in the space. So, so, so in that sense, we have seen so far, and luckily enough, a lot of the big distributors gravitating towards us, trying to see if we can collaborate because it dramatically reduces the time to market uh, from uh, you decide to actually set up a carbon project to, to, the, to you actually have, to, until you actually have uh, credits that are ready for selling. Uh, and at the same time, it allows you to do it, although you, you don't have the capital upfront in order to be able to do that. So the revenue that uh, we will get and the pay the fees that will be paid will only be paid once the carbon credits sell. So in that sense, it's, uh, we remove as much as possible the barriers for these companies so that they can access the market. That's fine. Uh, what I'll do is I'll kind of unpack it. You know, you've obviously had a lot of points there. And I, I'm, I'm glad that you you know sort of summarized it right there. What you're saying is that uh, typically a large, you know, hydropower developer or a, or a large solar IPP can put up a put up a project and sell carbon credit because they are large; they have the liquidity. Uh, it becomes difficult for a company which is selling, you know, from hundreds of uh, twenty watt systems, literally thousands of twenty watt systems, uh, to sell these carbon credits. And what you what you are doing is essentially making that uh, this a program so that 
those hundreds and thousands of systems can sort of be aggregated and sell carbon credits on your on your platform. Is that, that is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay, great. And then the the second point is that because you know the way this works is Greenlight Planet uh, sells you know manufactures the lantern that's the, or the solar home systems under its brand, but it puts on top of that a software perhaps uh, run by Angaza, which really tracks when it is used, when the payment is made, where the where it is used, and so on and so forth. So you, you pick up the data directly. And then you can uh, tell your, uh, and you can, and then you translate that to carbon credits because what you're capturing is energy data. You translate that to carbon credits, and there is complete transparency on where the solar electricity is produced, or what you call carbon avoidance has happened. Is that correct? Yes, that's also correct. Okay, great. And then what will be useful to understand is what DNV does, and maybe we can get into that later because you know what is it that they verify. Yes, uh, it's a very, very pertinent question. So you could say DNV uh, in this particular case, they are uh, verifying uh, that we are implementing a CDM uh, methodology. So UN CDM methodology, specifically designed for off-grid solar, small scale. It's a, it's a methodology from 2015 that was developed by the World Bank and other stakeholders. It went through a very thorough, you could say, methodology review as this, these things have to go through. And it was updated on a few instances. And the one that is currently you know, available in the uh, registry of methodologies on the CDM website is the one that we have actually used. So it's a version three of that particular methodology. So what we have done is taken that methodology that has yearly calculations of yields of solar systems, generally speaking, and we have uh, converted the metrics into daily metrics rather than yearly metrics so that we can issue on a daily basis rather than wait and bulk issue once a year so that we can get more dynamic flow in the, in the system and, and create, again, more, you could say, transparency of sorts. So they ensure that what we have done in transforming the calculations to a daily calculation is actually correct. So they have their data scientists and the carbon people look at that. And then they ensure that the codification of it is, is done correctly. And this is where they kind of have an edge, we would say, compared to, you know, pure, I could say, carbon verifiers, generally speaking, that use a field-based approach, is that they have a whole practice, which is about data science and about the technology platform verification. They have certain standards for verifying IT platforms and we have gone through an audit process of that. So essentially their uh, data scientists and uh, computer scientists have gone through our system to ensure that we have codified this in a correct fashion so that we don't. So at the end of the day, uh, there's not a small miscalculation that ends up being a, a large amount once you aggregate it. So it's down to four or five commas after each gram. So it's extremely precise and the numbers are essentially properly verified. Added to this, they also verify that the data transfer that we get from the likes of Angaza is actually also done correctly. So the tech side of things is done correctly and that we handle the due diligence data with the solar distributors in a correct fashion. So we have a checklist of things that need to be submitted to us upfront before you can join the program. So uh, you, we need to know that we have a printout from the, the company registry in the given country to ensure that it's a legitimate business that we're dealing with. We need to have an, an, you know, an, uh, the latest annual report so we can see what the status of the company is in order for us to put the required check marks to ensure that we're letting in you know, well-established players and it's not a random project just created or designed 
for the simple purpose of generating bogus uh, carbon credits. So all these uh, checks and, and steps have done very diligently put in place by them. And, and they would uh, upfront verify the whole program and the whole system, making it easier for them to do ongoing spot checks. And this is where it becomes interesting because this is where you can reduce the cost tremendously. Uh, so they don't need to have boots on the ground, so to speak, with every single distributor that we onboard at any given time so that they can double check that all these massively deployed small systems are actually in use. They will review the data on the system to ensure that we're that what is there, that the data speaks for itself, so to speak. So that reduces the cost. You don't have to be in the field as much and you can do spot checks and the system can kind of automatically pick up on discrepancies in the data in case they happen. So in case all of a sudden, you know, we get a surge in amount of data transmitted from one distributor, we will know that it goes beyond a certain threshold uh, that they shouldn't be allowed to, you know, go beyond. And we would know that there's something wrong with the data, whether it's malicious or whether it's a fake, we will be able to pick up on that very quickly and solve the problem so that we don't issue any credits at all that are not based on actual real data. So the cost reduction comes from the use of the, of the technology to allow us to do this up, uh, the verification largely ahead of time uh, so that the new partners can join in without being subjected to very heavy due diligence from the DNV itself. And uh, you could say strategically, this was very good for us that DNV was actually looking into ways of doing real-time verification because verification is the core of their business. They do it for all kinds of projects. And they're looking at ways to leveraging technology in order to come up with new offerings to all their corporate partners that are working with them for verification purposes. And in this particular case, they see a good use of technology that can be leveraged in order to reduce the cost uh, for the uh, recipients at the end of the day for the projects that are actually much in need of that financial flow going their way from selling the carbon credits. So it, we were kind of lucky to hit a, you know, an inflection point in time where DNV were looking strategically into data-driven verification. And we were at the same time trying to do methodologies that were data-driven. So collectively, we kind of designed the system where we designed it, they verified it for us. But we see it pretty much as a synergetic kind of uh, relationship where this can be a, a blueprint, hopefully, that we're looking at reproducing for other types of uh, distributed systems. So, for example, thing cooking and sanitation and all these things that collectively, uh, when you aggregate them, have a big impact on the environment. Uh, you could, using data, do similar things as we have done with solar here. So just make sure that I understand the main points. What DNV has done in the methodology, the methodology is the following key elements. DNV has created a methodology so that you onboard partners who have a certain credibility. That's point number one. Point number two is they have the methodology also includes verification of the veracity of the data that you pick up from the likes of Andasa. These two together, what it does is solves a problem which you referred to earlier, that is, a verification of carbon credits is a long and costly process where consultants have to be hired. This sort of automates it, makes it easier for people to put up systems and earn money. Is that a kind of a yes, summary? That's correct. Okay, wonderful. And what you said, one more thing that we should understand is that issue carbon credits now on a daily basis. What you mean is that it, it is sold on a real time, just to make sure that I understand that. Well, it means that uh, we would get, if we stick to the technical side of things, we would get, we have a mirroring, so to speak, into the Angaza data or the account of the solar distributor on Angaza, for example. 
uh, we will uh, essentially be able to see every day when that data is updated. And we will see if there is new solar installations that have been added with a legitimate account number and so on. And from the get-go, as soon as those systems are added to the, the, the pool of, of uh, systems, we can essentially start you know, issuing credits based on that particular data that we get in. It's, it's a daily update of the status of the, the whole, uh, you could say, installed base of the distributor. And every single time there is a payment made, uh, or every single time there is a reading of uh, an actual energy consumption for the types of systems that are more advanced and have uh, that are GSM enabled and that, that essentially you know track real time data con electricity consumption. We get the for every single reading we create a, a micro carbon avoidance, which we actually call it. So so essentially all these together add up to tonnages. But at any given time we're issuing as little as a few kilos, two, three, five, 60, 70 kilos at a time per reading. So very small increments every day, every, every week. And when you add them up over the course of a, of a year, an average solar home system will have issued around 250 kilos of carbon avoidance, which is actually not that much in the grand scheme of things. But if you aggregate it, as you say, we know with hundreds of thousands of systems all deployed and all doing the same, uh, you, you get all of a sudden a very, very clear image of where things are happening and where the stuff was issued at exactly what time were the systems uh, in use or paid for. That is the, the daily element so that we don't wait you know, until once a year and do a, a general calculation of what does the data say and then we bulk issue for that particular provider. It happens on the go, allowing them to add on, you know, batches of solar home systems as they bring them to market right away. They shouldn't, we shouldn't wait two, three years. As soon as things are online, uh, the, the data starts flowing, the, then the carbon credit should automatically start being issued. So that is what we have managed to do. Great. So the additional money that comes to the companies should theoretically perhaps lead to lower interest rates that the customer has to pay. Have you uh, seen already evidence of this happening? Absolutely. So that's the, the, the whole idea with, with these uh, credits is that the extra revenue should sustain the business and allow the business to do one of two things or a combination of the two. So either lowering the cost for the, uh, the prices for the existing customer base or going to areas which you wouldn't usually serve because they're even further away or the distribution costs are dis disproportionately high compared to the potential revenue that you can make. So essentially, the further away you are from the, the centers of, of activity and the more remote the villages, the, the, the less it makes business sense to actually go there, even if it's a very low cost system that you're deploying with a pay-go solution with very small you know, uh, monthly fees in order to pay off the, the system. Uh, still over half the people in those areas would not be able to afford it. So having these carbon credits, uh, the revenues from them allows these companies to actually dare take the steps towards going into areas where they otherwise wouldn't have gone. So, so uh, and to, to specifically to your question, whether we have seen it happening, uh, the uh, honest and straightforward answer is not yet because the backlog we have of our traction doesn't go back, uh, long enough back for us to be able to actually give you a clear indication that that is actually what is happening. Assumption here is that if a company that is otherwise, you know, a lot of these solar distributors are pretty much struggling with their cash flow and they're constantly fundraising, trying to essentially stay afloat. And just by the fact that they're allowed to be, you know, revenues allow them to continue their operations. We see this as a, an additional revenue, which 
it lives up to all the you know additionality criteria of carbon offsetting and so on. It justifies the, the, the credit being sold and the money being made. But we, we are aware of the fact that more precision as to what the money is actually spent on is something that we are in the process of actually developing further as we go forward. And the simple way of doing that is essentially saying, well, if we buy, if we sell to large corporations, for example, this traceability beyond the distributor all the way to the recipient is actually something that could be very much valued. So uh, now we're talking actually to some of our distributors about uh, in the case of bulk purchases of carbon credits, so large volumes of you know thousands of tons of, of credits at a time. Here it makes sense to say, well, that particular revenue, which then becomes sizable, should actually be earmarked very specifically to either going into new areas of operation or uh, geographies of operation that you otherwise wouldn't have served, or very specifically, you know, uh, go to a cost reduction for a, uh, a price reduction on the services to a given customer segment in a given area. And that would be easily trackable the same way as the way you would do it with results-based finance. Now, once you show that the result is actually deployed in a very specific area, that is what triggers essentially the, the payment. So these types of mechanisms is something that we're looking into. And, and all the distributors are very much aware of that. And what we're at, at the current stage of our development, uh, we're selling credits on behalf of the partners that we have on board, but the volumes that we have sold so far do not still add up so that we can uh, have a long enough history to be able to say very specifically where has the money actually gone. But that's part of what we will do, uh, you know, ex post, you know, every year it will become more encouraged that, to, to, that these partners actually share that type of data with us because that also enhances their ability to actually sell their respective carbon credits to, to, the, to the buyers. Uh, it's interesting the way you compared the bulk purchase and the incentive structure with results-based financing. A couple of weeks back, we had Martin Bean, the head of SNV's energy program on our podcast, talking exactly about the same thing, results-based financing. So let's discuss a little bit of the process. DNV has set up a checklist of, com- of what you should go through before a company can come on your platform. If you can help us understand, you know, for example, if there's a you know, new pay-as-you-go company in, in uh, let's say, Kenya or, or Tanzania or somewhere, uh, to come to you, what is the information they should provide? So uh, usually the, the process is, first of all, aligning, you could say, expectations. So it's pretty clear, you know, essentially, what is the opportunity and what would the cost be for the, the respective parties? So although we're lowering the cost you know, tremendously and making it very affordable for smaller projects and companies to actually come on board, it is still a tech integration that needs to be done with the system in use of the account within the system that is in use for, for one of these partners. And it still costs man hours. So, so we would have a certain threshold in terms of amounts of systems. And we, uh, we appreciate that some systems are quite small, some as small sometimes as seven watt panels or 10 watt panels. And so, so very small entities with one LED light bulb or what have you which essentially is just a step up from solar lantern and all the way to proper larger systems that uh, run uh, 350 watt panels and and, uh, 1.2 kilowatt hour a day battery capacity, which can power many more appliances and add a few of those, you can run a kiosk with fridges and and whatever is required. So we understand that it's different, but for each partner at our current stage, we want to engage in a you know, an informal dialogue to ensure that we we are in agreement. So we have a calculator and an Excel sheet, so very simple. Uh, We get the partners to fill it out with our help 
to actually say, well, based on the sizes of your installations, the way you monitor it, whether you can prove that it's on and usually you know, how many days over a year is it actually on. We basically fill out the, the sheet and it will give you a, a potential yield of carbon credit per year. And based on different price scenarios, we can say, well, best case scenario it could yield you this amount of money. Worst case, it will be something around there. And uh, there is also the issue that you might not be able to sell all your credits all at once. We're still waiting, you could say, for demand to uh, really eclipse supply, which we think is in the process of happening these years as the demand really increases. And I'm, we're probably going to talk about this in a second. So, so once we agree that this is a good opportunity and you know, the amount of uh, carbon credits potentially generated uh, is good for both parties, uh, we would then start the formal process, which is essentially part of it is a tick box, so to speak. So we have a type form that we will send out. People essentially need to categorize their company. They need to upload certain documentation. So it, it could be the, their annual report. It could be the, 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 the spec sheets for their solar home system. So we know exactly which ones are deployed where. And also we would require some sort of a third party, you could say uh, audited statement, which is left ver very light which is essentially just uh, a third party vouching for the amounts of system and deployment so that we know that this is actually the amount of the installed base so that we don't end up doing an integration and then we get you know as i mentioned before a surge of you know fake data so this is also a reason why we primarily work with third party software vendors because it's much more secure to get the, the actual live data from the, the their accounts uh, from Engaza, for example, rather than getting an, an, an export from the company itself. So once these things are submitted, the next step would, would be to, to draft the partnership agreement where the fees are actually negotiated. We have a very standardized fee structure that all the partners pretty much you know, has, have adhered to so far. There's some generic terms for website sales, the stuff that we sell on our website, which is sold in small increments to smaller businesses. And here the prices would be relatively high for the voluntary carbon market. People would see it as a premium. It would be priced at 26 euros per ton, which we think is you know, absolutely fair and it should definitely go up in the future. But then you would also have, you could say, uh, sales that are in, in larger quantities. You could say people, if a given corporate company comes to the solar provider and says, well, we like your company and the way you uh, address uh, energy access and in this particular country, we would like to buy the credits from a given batch of solar home systems, but we can pay this in that price. Then it becomes subject to negotiation with the buyer and we will try to settle on something which uh, is fair for all parties, but at the end of the day, ensures that we also get our uh, you know, uh, upfront verification fees that we're paying for, for DNV to actually do the verification work, all the work that we have done for the tech integration, getting things online. So all that essentially needs to re be recuperated at some point, and that will be reflected in a, in a fee structure. So those things, just we just need to align on those. And then there's a draft agreement. Uh, we will loop in the third party's software vendor, either Engaza or PG at this case. Hopefully there'll be others joining soon. And once we have a tripartite meeting, if you like, we will agree on uh, the format of the data because all distributors will handle the data slightly different, even if it's within the same you know, structured uh, framework of a given software provider. We agree on the format. We essentially initiate the, the export uh, sequence. Once it's done, we do a few weeks of testing to ensure that everything runs smoothly. We do manual imports to ensure that it functions. And once that is in place, we automate it and we essentially launch it. 
So from first contact until issuance, if everything kind of runs smoothly, we can do that within two to three months. So it's a big, you know, step forward compared to setting up uh, in a traditional project, which first of all is too costly and it will take you years, like three, four, five years before you actually have credits ready to sell. Okay, got it. This is very useful. Two to three months as opposed to a few years, you know, that is really a big difference. One thing that you said earlier is you obviously generate carbon credit in the micro fashion on a daily basis. So would the company get paid on a daily basis also, or at least a monthly basis? Yes. So the way we currently do this uh, is that we pay companies on a monthly basis. So we sell it on an ongoing basis. If people buy it, uh, just running you through the flow of things to to make it kind of simple. Uh, So the stuff that we sell on on our website, let's say a small event uh, agency uh, wants to make their event CO2 neutral. We have engaged with them about how much their footprint would be. They go into the website and they directly, you know, as a self-service, would buy, let's say, 20, 25 tons carbon credits from the particular project that they have decided to support. That money goes through a Stripe payment to us, so we receive the money. What then happens from the buyer perspective is that we issue a certificate to them for the carbon offsets that they have bought, which have been retired from the registry. So uh, that uh, certificate has the added value that it's not just a PDF where we kind of signed off and they need to trust that it's valid. There is there's a QR code and a clickable hash on it. And if you scan it with your phone, you will it will open up a, the registry and you can actually verify what you have actually bought. And usually it would be you know, hundreds of lines of payments, uh, sorry, of carbon credits issued by specific solar home systems in that geography with very specific timestamps and the ability for you to hover over them. And it, a small map will pop up and you can see exactly where those those installations are located. So a lot of transparency. So that is, you know, from the buyer perspective. So the Stripe accounts that uh, funds that we receive, uh, we will compile them. And once a month, we will make a an international wire transfer to the bank of the given distributor. And usually we would use uh, WISE as a transfer, used to be transfer WISE. Now they're called WISE. So essentially a WISE payment to, to a traditional bank payment to, to the account of, of the company. And then we keep track of, of the balance. So essentially how much has been issued, how much have we sold, how much do we owe the company? And we settle that on a monthly basis with the, with the, with the partners. It makes sense. That's again, a big advantage for companies to get paid on a monthly basis. It seemed to me hearing you speak that the process of onboarding companies isn't too complicated. You're examining, you know, basic things actually about the credibility and about the projections. And I wanted to spend a minute talking about while you today to work with the NGs in the Greenlight Africa, obviously you probably know the local entrepreneurs in Africa are struggling to raise capital, right? Do you have a message for them to to sort of start getting onto your platform and selling carbon credits. Absolutely. Uh, and we are often engaging with uh, companies uh, that are, you could say, local, that are growing up in this context, that really understand the problem, that want to contribute to energy access with different uh, models, uh, either inspired by what they see some of the bigger companies doing or giving it a little twist one way or the other. And it's always inspiring to have these chats uh, with them. You could say that the uh, the path to, to market in the sense that they will be able to, to generate carbon offsets uh, on our platform. Uh, we, we try to, to, to uh, let them know that at the early stages of their development, they probably don't have the volume required in, t- in terms of deployed systems yet to actually allow them to you know, meet the threshold where this actually makes financial sense. But we are, we are willing to work with them 
in order to acknowledge uh, or weigh in on their potential funding rounds. Uh, essentially, uh, they can use us as an item line on their potential budgets that they're putting together in order to get funding uh, under the assumption that they put in you know, the right volume. So as soon as they hit, let's say, 500 solar home system deployed, by then they would be able to join our system because the economies of it would make sense. They would be able to issue a backlog of a few years of, of carbon credits and going forward, you, they will have a certain number of metrics for how much they could actually generate. That would look good in, in their financial projections, which in turn they will be using for their funding rounds that they're trying to put forward. And it also makes them stand out because they're taking this funding uh, uh, revenue stream seriously and integrating it into the way that they're trying to build their business from the outset. So, so we do have these chats with the smaller of the local companies, but also we are aware that some of them are much larger and uh, that are not necessarily, you know, the international brand that have corporate headquarters in Europe or the US, but are actually local. And we want to support this, uh, not just when it comes to giving them access to the carbon market, but also ensuring that manufacturing and you know, assembly of these systems and more of the, you know, the employment benefits that they can uh, be, remain as local as possible so that we can also bring in uh, an upgrading of the, the workforce in those geographies. It's something like uh, we know, for example, Nigeria is quite focused on trying to ensure that a lot of the manufacturing is done locally. There's a lot of funds that are looking into that. For example, uh, Olan that you might be familiar with that uh, works very actively for energy access in, in Nigeria, in particular, has a specific focus on keeping things local, ensuring that the technology is implemented in a local type of setting, the manufacturing and so on. So we're just an extra piece you could say an ecosystem add-on, all these uh, very good initiatives that are already happening. And if uh, to boil it down to one message to, you could say, African entrepreneurs, well, uh, reach out to us, have a chat with us if you are in the business of doing off-grid systems, whether they are mini-grids or you know, micro-grids or whether it's the distribution of solar home systems, because there might be room for uh, collaboration if not at this particular point, because the scale hasn't been achieved yet, then we can at least collaborate on figuring out how to position you know, the, the future carbon revenues as something that can become a pitchable you know, attribute that would make the company more attractive for potential investors. I think that's very important. And I think local entrepreneurs or even uh, in a nonprofit in Africa who are building a social enterprise wing should actually reach out to you. And I hope they do. I hope the podcast helps you to do that as well. We've talked a lot about the sell side of it. Let's switch to the buy side of it, which is, you've already mentioned this, people who buy carbon credits on your website are, let's say, small event organizers. And they, they're buying those premium carbon credits at $26. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about the people who buy the larger bulk amounts. So are you seeing some traction with these new net zero declarations by the companies? Very, very good point. And uh, as with everything new, things take some time to actually get off the ground. And you could say, although uh, a lot of the, you could, the the attributes that we have that I've tried to put forward here should make it pretty straightforward that there is a lot of co-benefits to these types of credits. We add some sort of transparency. We still, you know, the, the data element of it makes it pretty trustworthy, we, we, we believe. Uh, but this being said, you still have a supply and demand in terms of volume that needs to align. 
So we're, we're talking here about a lot of distributors of solar home systems that if you, if you look at them you know, individually as one distributor and you aggregate their, you know, the volumes that they're selling, a lot of them would, they would disappear under the radar of a big buyer because what they're looking at buying is 5, 10, 15, 30 ton, tons of CO2 a year. It requires a pretty big distributor to reach those volumes. So say for us, it has been a question of trying to showcase the, the power of aggregation, of putting all these smaller players together into a marketplace of sorts where you can actually buy this with a, a tamper-proof registry and what have you, and then ensuring that we sell it to buyers who, in terms of appetite for carbon credits, is aligned with the actual availability that each distributor would have. So small companies and selling through the website at a premium price is the best match currently for a lot of the smaller uh, partners that we're working with. Uh, in terms of the larger ones, here it becomes a different case because it might actually make sense to sell it in larger volumes. And here, uh, there's been some challenges in the sense that uh, usually a large corporation would buy their carbon offset credits through a retailer. They would have a partnership with one of the large retailers that is Climate Partner and uh, the likes, you know, Carbon Fund, there's a bunch of those that, that essentially cater to companies with a turnkey solution which is essentially both helping them with uh, the calculations on carbon emissions. So what is the footprint? How do you do you know, scope one, two, three calculations? How do you account this in the right format that is aligned with the greenhouse gas protocol and uh, science-based targets? And so they help them on that side of things to ensuring that the amount that they're purchasing is correct. Uh, and then they will, as an add-on, connect them with projects that they're contracting with the programs and projects that are actually developing these things. And here there is certain risk aversion, I would say. And everybody's looking, everybody's lurking at these new data-driven solutions. Uh, first of all, to be fair, uh, generally the volumes are not big enough to actually really make a difference for the big buyers right now, but hopefully it will become so as we aggregate more on the supply side. But also there is going to be hopefully a move away from a reliance only on the established uh, types of projects, particularly when supply and demand that, that inflection point is reached where the demand greatly outstrips the supply. And we think, you know, from talking to retailers that are catering to the big uh, Fortune 500 companies and so on, they can already see that, that the demand for uh, quality carbon credits uh, is high, but the availability is really not there. And also there is a lot of uh, backlog, uh, for example, on the CDM registry with old vintage stuff from centralized you know, projects uh, that uh, where you could say additionality is not really clear. There's been a few cases where it's kind of uncertain whether the actual avoidance really took place or whether it was issued on a too lean, uh, too lax type of, of basis. So, and now with COP26, part of, those, of this backlog has been removed. So it doesn't count anymore in the new system, but you can actually still buy stuff from 2013 forward uh, to 2020. So it's actually quite a lot of stuff there that is usually sold at a cheaper price. But at some point, this you know, pool of available cheap credits is going to dry up. And from what we hear talking to retailers, this is actually already happening. Currently, they have to, they have to work harder in order to get these new types of quality projects where the co-benefits and the added social impact uh, aligning with SDGs, in our case, SDG 7, for example, all these things are gaining momentum. So at some point, uh, you, you will have these retailers actually taking the leap of faith and saying, well, although it's not verified carbon standard, 
but something new, essentially uh, third party verified by DNV, but based on a data driven model, for example, such as the things that we do. Once that happens, then there is enough, you know, traction. We believe a snowball effect is going to happen. Once the floodgates are opened up and people actually make our product available, it will be quite easy to, to sell, you know, larger volumes, but probably not that expensive at this, say, at this stage. We've sold, you know, the market indicates to us that the price point for batches of a thousand tons would be around 10 euros per ton. So it's considerably less. But if you uh, look at it from a broader perspective, it's one transaction. It's all handled all in once. And sometimes you can even make a future purchase contract. So essentially a carbon purchase contract, locking in a future issuance of, of credits. So that might actually take away some of the risk perception from, from, from some of the you know, producers, and it makes it you know, easier to, to, to match the gap. So, so I would say from my perspective and the way I see the market evolving, uh, there is a general tendency that, can, that is only going upwards when it comes to price. But in our specific case, we're still trying to get to a situation where the supply is actually big enough for it to become attractive to the buyers that actually want to buy in the tens of thousands of tons at a time. Here, it requires more of the big players to give us more of their systems available to our registry so we can issue or aggregate you know, everything which is actually there. And the, and the supply in terms of off-grid solar uh, deployment every year is considerable. So if you aggregate that, that should definitely be enough to meet the demand going forward, but also with a price point, we think, going, going upwards. And just a final note uh, that I think is important to my, mention to the, to the listeners here is that what we actually do, uh, we, we can obviously not guarantee sales. So the strength of our solution is the fact that we make carbon credits available for off-grid solar providers or distributors at a very affordable cost. And it's very easy and quick for them to actually get the credits available. They're third-party verified, they're transparent. It's kind of the, the next generation thing we would venture to say, but we are not a sales organization per se. So we do offer retail services where we try to push it to the customers to get them to, to buy because that's also where we make our money because we're, the incentives are pretty much aligned. We only recuperate our money once we actually sell the carbon credits and we split the revenues. So we have an interest in doing that, but that's not the core of our strength. Uh, of our, of our business. Ultimately, uh, a good way of seeing it is that we enable uh, the distributors to generate a, a digital asset, essentially, that has a value and a value which is, has an up, uh, upwards going trend in terms of price. Uh, and they are then free to sell them whenever they want to sell them as the market matures. Uh, we can help them sell it now in small batches as we can. But forever, you could say the credits, as long as they're on the registry, do not belong to Solstrom. We don't owe them. Own them. It is this, the provider that owns them, and they can sell them to whoever they want, as long as they meet minimum price points that allows them to pay the fees once they sell to, to, to us, essentially. And generally, we like to see it as a concerted effort where all parties involved, so the distributors and ourselves, need to make the availability of these credits known to the buyers and try to push the methodology and the way it's done and the importance of data-drivenness, co-benefits, and so on and so forth, so that to open up their appetite and their willingness to actually buy these types of products. And we have some very good you know, pilot cases that we're up and running 
uh, currently with big buyers that are actually interested in buying some of the stuff from some of the big partners that we're working with. So things will mature, but again, viewing it as an asset that is being created that can, you know, in principle be collateralized uh, for your fundraising purposes that you can sell whenever you want. I think that's really the uh, uh, current strength of the system. And going forward, as the liquidity of the market increases and the demand for these types of things increases, it would be a good way to supplement your, you know, your cash flow uh, strategically when it's actually needed by these players. So I hope that kind of explains where, where we see things going. I think that's really clear. And I'm glad that you, you know, defined it so uh, sharply. Uh, that is what it. What you're doing is you're not owning the assets, you're creating the assets. The assets are owned by the distributor or the company, and the yeah. assets can be used as collateral uh, for uh, perhaps getting a loan or something like that, right? Or, or perhaps, as you said earlier, co-funding the expansion along with external capital. I think we're coming to the end of the podcast, and one of the interesting things that I read about your technology is that it allows the generation and sale of carbon credits even if your own company stopped operating. Well, I think that's really interesting. So can you help tell us, yes. help us understand how that yes. is possible? Well, the, the, the registry at the core of this that, that essentially holds the credits once they're issued is based on a distributed ledger system that we've developed with Active Ledger, which is a distributed ledger company based out of London. They are also a minority shareholder in, in, in Solstrom. Uh, so so the, the, the principle here is that uh, all the data, the whole full uh, registry is essentially duplicated uh, on all the servers on which it runs. Uh, and the point here is we do not, we only run one of the servers. Currently, to be fair, uh, we are in a bootstrapped mode, meaning that we still need to get more partners to take on the responsibility of running, you know, uh, a node, as we call it, or a server, uh, which essentially has a completely updated version of the, of the distributed ledger. Which means that ultimately, you know, hopefully within a year or so, when some of the big partners that we work with also take on the responsibility of running a node, which is really not that expensive, it's run on the cloud and it's, you know, it doesn't require anything of them. It just means that they are the custodians or the guardians of that particular ledger. And the industry as a whole, all the stakeholders could all run these nodes. And meaning that if you run out of business, the registry will prevail as long as there is at least four servers still up and running. And this, in principle, adds the trust that if we're, for some reason, taken out of business or what have you, the registry itself would be able to maintain itself as a, it's a public good that is for the industry, that everybody that is partners can run a, a node, and it sustains you know, the registry for everybody and not just for us. And we are not able to tamper with it, which is also one of the main points. We can't go in and retrospectively remove or add or change anything in the registry without it synchronizing automatically with all the other uh, servers. And that will kind of showcase us as being a fraudulent player. So, so it serves the purpose of extra security and trust, but it also ultimately means that if we're removed from the equation at some point, the whole system will prevail. Thank you. I think you have obviously well summarized uh... The, the business, the company, and I'll just make a couple of quick points. Uh, companies can uh, come in very easily. You're making it easier and easier for companies to come in and participate in the carbon market, which will probably mean democratization of this marketplace. They can create an asset which can then be, they can leverage for fundraising and expansion. And uh, on the buyer side, what you're really giving them is uh, in a verifiable, high quality, uh, carbon credits with social benefits, which uh, which are not subject to fraud. 
That is a very, very good summary. Uh, I think uh, that's exactly what we want to do and, and what we are doing and how we want to be perceived. Okay, then thank you very much. So thanks a lot for that, Sandro. Thank <laughs> you.